Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello again. Welcome back to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. This is episode 17, and I am your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, we have another fantastic show ahead uh, today, but let's go ahead and kick things off with our, our weekly thank yous for the hosts. I uh, want to thank Podcast Garden for being the web host of the show. Uh, Podcast Garden is the place you want to go if you are looking for other podcasts. There, there's tons of different shows on there. Uh, I've been listening to a couple of different ones here lately that are, <laughs> well, you know, I'm not always just uh, wanting to read. I'm also kind of a geeky guy, so there's a few let's say, uh, pop culture type shows on there I've been listening to lately that have been fantastic and uh, even been corresponding with the guys on that show. So, uh, you know, but they, Podcast Garden's got lots of different shows on there for you to find. And if you're interested in starting your own show, you go on there and begin your own show for free. So, podcastgarden.com. Check it out. Hey, I also need to give a big shout out to our sponsor, You Store All of Warrensburg, Missouri. U-Storeall is the premium place in the Warrensburg area for self-storage, uh, climate control storage. They have a uh, fully fenced-in facility with gated access. You get your own private gate code that's never reissued. The whole place is monitored on over 40 cameras uh, that are recording 24 hours a day. You know, it, it's just a fantastic place. The climate control is is true climate control, meaning it's got air conditioning, heating, and dehumidification year-round, and those climate control buildings are even locked up outside office hours, so it's like another layer of security for you. Uh, so check it out online at ustoral.net. That's the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. I just want to give a call out for anybody out there who's listening, any authors, any thinking, anybody out there thinking about being an author. You know, if you if you've written a book, or if you know somebody who's written a book, for that matter, get a hold of me. Reach out to me. Let me know. I would love to have you on the show. Uh, you know, that's one of the big things for this show, something I always wanted all along. I said this all the way back in episode one when I first introduced myself. One of the things I wanted to do was make sure to highlight authors who are just beginning. Uh, authors who, you know, perhaps, you you know, not everybody's starting off as an author with a million dollars in their bank account. You know, ready for a big marketing push and you know, big, uh, uh, you know, lots of advertisements. So this is just one way that you can get a voice out there and let some more people know about it. So that way you're not just going to Amazon, you hit the button to publish and like, okay, come find my book. <laughs> now, you know, as the show grows, uh, more people are going to hear about it. More people will be listening each week. And uh, that's my hope is that the readers, the listeners out there are readers, uh, maybe other authors. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in coming on, by all means, contact us. Let me know. Uh, you can reach us at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash samplechapter. And I like the page and you can send me a message on there. If you have a recommendation for an author that you're interested in hearing a chapter for, uh, or, or if you have a friend, somebody that you know that wrote a book, by all means, you know, contact me for them. But, uh. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of put the word out there that, yeah, I'm always looking for new people, and uh, I've got uh, 
at any point, I've got a wealth of people that I can reach out to, but I want to make sure to, you know, open the floor to, to you, the listeners. If anybody else is, is uh, interested, come on over. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to have you on the show. Speaking of authors, today's guest is Linda K. Thomas. She has one book written right now and has one on the way. Uh, she is a memoirist and a blogger. Uh, her blog the Spiritual Memoirs 101, a weekly blog that goes out. It is one that I get myself, and uh, there's, there's lots of very good information on there for writers, and uh, not just for writers, in fact. There's it's like a good information, very uplifting content, and it's uh, just a wonderful blog that I encourage you to check out. Uh, Linda's a very humble person who, uh, her, her first book, Grandma's Letters from Africa, which she's going to read a chapter from today, uh, came out a couple years ago, and it covers her experiences over eight years that she spent in Africa, working with schools, working with uh, the people there, doing some journalistic work. And every chapter has, you know, stories that are being told while she was there. And I mean, these, they range from wild adventures, you know, carjackings to tender moments. You know, I mean, every bit of it is a moment of time in her Amazing true life adventures there in Africa. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, it even has pictures from the location within there. It's a very intimate look at, at her life in another world. And, and she is, you know, I think it's going to come across in the audio too, but she is definitely one of the sweetest ladies you ever met. But man, she's got some tenacity about her. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna, she talks about <laughs> how uh, another one of her trips, her upcoming book, is about her time in South America when she went down there for a few years. Well, as you're going to hear, she wasn't thrilled about going there to begin with. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait for you to hear what uh, what she had planned on doing once she got there. This episode was recorded. Uh, we're back in the public library in one of the private rooms. And uh, uh, it wasn't as private as it used to be. The people next door were pretty loud. And I did what I could to edit out some of that. But, uh, you know, you can still hear them every once in a while. But still, I think the episode's a really good one. I think the audio came out pretty well overall, and uh, I really know you're going to enjoy this. So, see, I, I think uh, it, it's a fantastic episode, and uh, I'm really happy to have Linda uh, have come on and, and shared her story, and the chapter she reads is is uh, fascinating, to say the least. So, uh, you know what, I, I, think, uh, I think that's enough for me. Let me go ahead and uh, introduce you guys to Linda K. Thomas. And hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Today, my guest is Linda K. Thomas. She is a memoirist and blogger with uh, one book under her belt and another one on the way. Uh, Linda, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jason. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. So tell the, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, about me. Uh, I am the least adventuresome person I know. <laughs> If my graduating class had voted on the least likely to be adventuresome, it would have been me. <laughs> and yet I married a man who was adventuresome, <laughs> and he has sprung some surprises on me, and going to Africa was one of them. We went for eight years. Uh, we left the States just 
as I was sure our son and daughter-in-law were going to start having babies. <laughs> and that was hard for me because I come from a family that liked to be together, an extended family that we all needed mm -hmm. to be together. And so moving far away from everything I knew in the States as well as from potential new grandbabies right. was very difficult. And so sure enough, uh, within a year of our landing in African soil, we had a grandbaby. And uh, eventually I decided to start writing her letters, even though she wouldn't understand them at the time, just mm -hmm. so that she would have a record of what her grandparents were up to when she was a baby. Mm -hmm. So this is the... Uh, the contents of this Grandma's Letters from Africa is just a series of uh, letters to my granddaughter Maggie Thomas. Oh, Some great. of the Warrensburg people know Maggie, mm -hmm. and uh, her sister Emma came along shortly after yeah. that, and so mm -hmm. this is letters to her too towards the end. Okay, all right. Have you always been a writer? I have. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it started when I was 13. Something got into me, and I've been hooked on it ever since. <laughs> and I used to work in journalism, Okay. and now I'm working in memoir. That's, that's wonderful. So this is your first book, then, The Grandma's Letters from Africa? Yes. Okay. You, you said then uh, writing the letters to your family, that's what inspired you to write the book? Yes. I decided to put it in uh, written form, partly for my granddaughters, mm -hmm. but then any other future grandchildren that came along. But then my job in Africa was in publicity, in journalism, and we uh, collected stories that would go in books or magazines, publicity around the world, uh -huh. and I knew the value of the written word. And mm -hmm. my husband and I left for Africa just as our youngest was graduating from college. We were empty nesters, mm -hmm. and we knew that we had a window of time we were still young enough that we could go on an adventure like this mm -hmm. before we got too old uh -huh. and maybe have poor health or something. And so there there had been a trend about that time, and I think it's continuing to reach out to people of that age, say 50, a little bit older than 50, 50 to 65 maybe, okay. to do something like this, go to Africa for four years or eight years or South America or Papua New Guinea, someplace like that. Yeah. So because of my background in journalism, I also knew that this could serve as a good recruitment tool for right. other people in the empty nest years of their lives. Right, okay, all right. Well, I'll have to make sure to keep this away from my wife. I'm sure she'll be I'll be ready to go fishing, and she'll want to go <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> um, I'm I'm so excited about this. I think you are my yeah you are my first uh, writer of memoirs, um, and and I I love the idea of being able to talk to somebody who's uh, you know not just I, I've got fiction and I've got some nonfiction and other stuff, and and this is this is wonderful. Um, so tell us, uh, what, what do you have uh, coming up? Do you, are, do you, are you work, you're working on a second book. I am. I'm working on a memoir about three years that my husband and I spent in South America with little children at that time. That was in the late 1970s. Okay. Our son was just going into first grade, and our daughter was starting kindergarten when we went down to South America in the middle of no place <laughs> uh, at the end of the road. And I... I was only 20, in my 20s when mm. we went, and uh, that that was scary for me. Mm. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm really a coward. And so it took a lot of uh, effort for me to find enough courage to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we first got there, I went into a culture shock. 
and I refused to unpack. And I said to my husband, we are leaving. We made a mistake. I refuse to unpack. And he said, you know, we made a commitment to these Mm. people. They're expecting us. He was going to be teaching in the school. And the school year was like three or four days away, the beginning of the school year. And so he convinced me to stay. But then I was really desperate. And I thought, you know, I can walk from Colombia through Central America and Mexico (laughs) I can end up to California and Oregon and Washington, where we lived. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So I was really very desperate. Yeah. And yet, a few months later, I had fallen in love with working there and living there and the people we worked with. And I said, I refuse to leave. I refuse (laughs) to pack. (laughs) So, But it was a dangerous time. It was a time when guerrillas were targeting North Americans. Mm Mm-hmm. Very, very active guerrilla scene. And uh, so there, uh, the book will be about kidnapping and murder mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, too. And yet we all survived. Yeah. And it's and this is that it's based on, like, these are like real stories coming oh, yeah. from what's happening there. Yes, wow. absolutely. Memoir is a, is, are yeah. true stories. That's fascinating. Yeah, I can't wait to read that then. Tell us what, about the book that you're going to be reading from okay. today. This is about my Africa years, switching back from South America to Africa. And I thought okay. maybe, Jason, that I would just read the back cover. Sure. If that's okay to give people a, um, a glimpse of it. Linda Thomas expected that when she grew old, she'd be a quaint little grandma, the kind that sits in a rocking chair and knits blankets for new grandbabies. But God and her husband had other ideas. Africa. This is Linda's story of her first four years working in Africa as a missionary. In this narrative, uniquely told through letters to her granddaughters, Linda shares how she stumbles into adventures most grandmas could not imagine. A hippo charges her, a Maasai elder spits at her, and a baboon poops in her breakfast. As she faithfully answers God's calling and his challenges, she recounts both hilarious and frightful incidents Joys and heartaches, answered prayers, and those gods seemed to leave unanswered. While drinking tea from a pot cleaned with cow's urine, suffering through an embarrassing breast exam, and narrowly escaping a carjacking by a murderer wielding an assault rifle, Linda falls in love with Africa, its people, and the work God presented her. Oh my goodness. Now I caught on to something there. You said your first four years. Yes, we were there eight years. Oh and gosh. this is about the first four years. Wow. Okay. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you had been to South America. I knew you'd been to Africa, but I had no idea you'd been uh, twice or for so long. Yeah. Yep. We were. It was very, very special. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. I uh, I tell the story. Uh, my furthest adventure, aside from going to Japan, many many years later, but my first adventure really outside the state was. When I joined the military, and I did not know my geography very well, and I just met my wife, and I didn't want to go too far away, so on my dream sheet for the military, I put down AK for Arkansas, not realizing that was Alaska, (laughs) (laughs) and so I got Alaska for my first base, (laughs) and I learned learned, after that, I learned my states very well, but uh, it turned out great. I had a wonderful uh, three years in Alaska, and that's where she came up, and then that's actually where we got engaged uh-huh. was while we were while I was Wonderful. there. So it, it worked out. But yeah, it's it's funny how you you go someplace you didn't expect, and uh, there's always something great there. That's true, and that's <laughs> what I found out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Linda, I really appreciate you doing this and, and you coming on here today. Uh, how could people follow you? I, I have a blog about uh, how to write memoir called Spiritual Memoirs 101. I do encourage people to write from a perspective of, of how God might be involved in their lives. There's a, a Jewish rabbi named um, Lawrence Kushner, and I think it was, he said something like, if seen from a high enough perspective, all is of God. And that's kind of how I see life. Mm -hmm. If we look at even, you know, just a little flower or a kitten or a great big event like an earthquake, whatever, I believe that God's there. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I encourage people to write a memoir. Not necessarily that it's all about God, but just that someplace in the recesses there mm -hmm. is some involvement of God. And so that's why I call my blog Spiritual Memoirs 101. Okay. My Grandma's Letters from Africa book is on Amazon, and uh, soon, because I will be publishing this new memoir shortly, I'm going to have an author page on Facebook, and it will probably be Linda K. Thomas author. Okay, wonderful. All right. Well, I will make sure if it's a, it may not be, the page may not be ready for this episode, right. but once it does come up, I'll make sure and share that on our on our Facebook page, wow. so that way listeners can follow you again. Very nice. Thank you. you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. It's been a wonderful treat having you here. Thank and, you. Uh, and for the listeners, uh, I can I can speak for the Spiritual Memoirs 101 newsletter. I get that, and it is it is a very sweet treat to read every week. So I highly encourage it. Yeah, and uh, so now I'm going to go ahead and hand the floor over to Miss Thomas with a chapter from her book, Grandma's Letters from Africa. Thanks, Jason. I, I do want to mention, too, that when we were there, my husband's job uh, was uh, to establish a school for missionary children. And he did that. In, uh, we were based in Nairobi, Kenya, and the school was called West Nairobi School, or WNS, okay. we called it. And our daughter, when by the time the school went up, she had taught enough years in the States in a public school that she was eligible for a leave of absence. So it just happened that the first year that my husband Dave's school opened, mm -hmm. our daughter Karen came over and lived with us for a year and taught in that school. Oh, very nice. And um, this chapter that I'm going to read you called Hurling Through the Valley of the Shadow of Death is about a trip that Karen and I took together. If you can kind of picture sitting with me in my side of the car, they drive on the left side of the road there. Mm -hmm. The passenger, which was me, I was in the left side of the car, and the driver, Karen, was sitting on the right side of the car. So if that helps you <laughs> picture this scene. All right. Okay, here we go. This is a letter to my granddaughters dated February 25, 1997, from Nairobi, Kenya. Dear Maggie and Emma, Sunday morning, a van full of West Nairobi School's teachers left on a day trip around Mount Kenya. Your Aunt Karen couldn't make up her mind if she wanted to go, but when the doorbell rang at 6.30 that morning, she told the others she had decided not to go. Around 6 that evening, Gary, the dorm dad, knocked on our door. Gary and Shar have a phone, and we don't, and they received a call with news that the teachers had had an accident in Chogoria, about three hours north of here. Gary passed on reports of a broken rib, broken pelvis, and several minor injuries. Your grandpa made phone calls, formulated plans, and signed out a van. Since it's not safe to drive at night, we left the next morning at sunrise, 6.15 a.m. 
Grandpa drove the van, and Karen and I followed behind in our car with Karen at the wheel, since I don't drive here. If one of the teachers needed to lie down in the van, we could put a couple of passengers in our car. Forty-five minutes into our trip, your grandpa braked ahead of us. His van blocked our view, so we couldn't tell why he slowed down, but then we noticed broken glass on the road. Just then, Karen said, look, an accident just happened. Look at the dust. It's still swirling in the air. From my seat on the left side of the car, I saw a white car lodged in a wide ditch to the left. Between it and our car, a man, clutching an assault rifle, charged toward me ten or twelve feet away. For a sickening second or two, he and I made eye contact. I yelled at Karen, keep driving, and she did. About two seconds later, she said, Mom, look. Dozens of people ran for shelter. I found an article in this morning's paper about this incident and learned that three people died. Four gangsters driving the white car, which they had stolen, shot at a pickup in front of Grandpa. The shooting happened only seconds before we got there, but we were around a curve in the road and didn't see it happen. The pickup had veered off the road to the right, but Karen and I didn't see it because we were looking at the car on the left and at the thug with the assault rifle. Officials suspect the truck transported drugs. Part of the article makes me shudder. It confirmed what I suspected. The gangsters stopped a car at gunpoint and fled. That man who charged us, that man with the assault rifle, that man just ten feet away, that man who looked me in the eye, that man intended to carjack us. But by God's split-second grace, Karen kept driving, and the gangster stopped the car behind us instead. When we arrived at the Presbyterian Hospital in Chigorio, everybody told us that if our teachers had to have an accident outside of Nairobi, they chose the best place because Chigorio's hospital is the finest of those upcountry. The staff included a young Canadian doctor and his wife, three interns from the U.S., an Egyptian doctor, a dear gentleman from England, and a kind, helpful Kenyan staff. We could tell the accident left the teachers shaken, but most of them had only minor injuries. However, we had to wait for reports on the two most seriously injured, Bridget and Shelley. Meanwhile, we listened to the teachers explain how the accident happened. Their van was traveling downhill along a steep, zigzagging road when a matatu, which is a mid-sized, heavy bus, packed with passengers, lost its brakes and crashed into the back corner of our school van. That bus shoved the van down the rest of the hill, curves and all, across a short bridge at the lowest spot, with a drop-off of a couple hundred feet on one side, and pushed it partway up the hill on the other side. Our van's driver, Pierce, actually steered for the bus because it had literally attached itself to the van. Both doctors and police told us the teacher's van and Pierce saved the bus passengers' lives. They emphasized that every accident on that stretch of road, and there have been many, has resulted in fatalities except for this one. Matatus here have their own names painted on them, and the name on this one was from Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I marveled at those words' appropriateness. God had shepherded passengers in both vehicles as they hurled through the valley of the shadow of death. While we waited in the hospital's halls, the teachers told us that people in a Toyota Land Cruiser stopped and pulled out the wounded. 
some unconscious, others in and out of consciousness, and crammed them into their vehicle. Imagine all those broken people packed in a land cruiser. The Matatu's passengers remained stranded at the accident scene. They built a fire and sat around it all night, singing hymns and praying for the injured. They knew the teachers had saved their lives. In the morning, a number of them made their way to the hospital to pray for our teachers. Everything moved slowly in the hospital. By midday, I started to worry about our return trip to Nairobi. We prefer not to travel after dark because of carjackings and bad road conditions. I wanted so much to arrive home before sunset. My stomach still churned over that morning's incident. Eventually, we learned that Shelley received head and neck injuries, but she would recover. Bridget, who had evacuated from Zaire due to civil unrest just a couple of months ago and joined our staff, received the most severe injuries. She had sat in the back corner, the point that took the Matatu's impact. She has a broken pelvis on both sides, a shattered hip joint, and damage to internal organs. Can you imagine what she must have felt when those people pulled her out of the crumpled van and loaded her into their land cruiser? I nearly faint to think of it. The doctors said Bridget needed to fly to England immediately for proper care. She had suffered grave injuries. But we couldn't get her to Nairobi, let alone England. People back in Nairobi could find neither an ambulance nor a helicopter that could accommodate stretchers. We offered to transport her in our van, but the doctor said she would never survive the long drive over bumpy roads. My heart nearly failed me. What were we to do? I could think of nothing. Nothing. I could pray, though, and I did. Nevertheless, from my human perspective, I could see no way to get Bridget out of Chagoria. After a long, painful wait, we received good news. Someone back in Nairobi had arranged for a German AMREF doctor to fly up on a Kenya wildlife helicopter large enough to transport a stretcher. If ever there was a time to sing the doxology, that was it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We'd have to wait for their arrival, but at least they were on the way. Jan, the teacher sitting next to Bridget in the van, had less serious injuries. Before the trip, while Karen debated whether to go, she told me, Mom, I know there's room for me. I can sit in the back with Jan and Bridget, but I just don't know if I want to go. Well, when we arrived at the hospital, Jan said several times, I'm so glad Karen didn't come. She would have sat between Bridget and me and would have been badly injured. It shakes me up to think what could have happened to my Karen. I can only thank God over and over and over again. Doctors tended to the wounded until after 5 p.m., Meanwhile, for two hours, I stood on an enormous field adjoining the hospital, along with your grandpa, your Aunt Karen, doctors, interns, and nurses, and a couple of teachers who were healthy enough to stand to await the helicopter and help with crowd control. Over 1,500 people gathered to see the tin bird land in a cloud of orange dust. They didn't seem to understand the danger of standing too close, so we held them back. A hush fell when the hospital staff wheeled Bridget and later Shelley across the red dirt field. When the helicopter lifted off, I had mixed emotions. I felt sad about the lady's injuries, but delighted and thankful for the German doctor and the Kenya wildlife helicopter. God had helped someone back in Nairobi, a blessed someone, to find them both and bring about what had seemed impossible only a few hours earlier. With a four-hour trip ahead of us, we drove out of Chagoria half an hour before sunset, 
We would have to trust God rather than daylight to get us home safely, and he did. Pierce and his wife Karma rode in our car, and the rest traveled with Grandpa in the van. Karen and I dropped them off and arrived home about 9.30. Grandpa delivered his passengers to their homes except for Jan. He checked her into the hospital and then received an update on the two who flew down, Bridget and Shelley. When he arrived home at 1 a.m., he said that even though Bridget had needed to fly to England, by the time she landed in Nairobi, her internal injuries were so serious that they took her directly into emergency surgery. As I type, she's in intensive care, and I haven't heard if they'll try to fly her to England. Shelley is in intensive care, too. The other teachers, bruised, stitched up, and shaken, will recover at home. With a troubled yet grateful heart, Grandma. And that was Linda K. Thomas reading from her memoir, Grandma's Letters from Africa. What did I tell you? That ch- chapter is really something to hear about those gorillas, the, the people getting shot right in front of them. Uh, man, that's, I couldn't imagine it. So uh, make sure you check out Linda K. Thomas. Uh, follow her on Amazon. Uh, as soon as her Facebook page is available, I'm going to share that on our Facebook page. So make sure you like that. Don't forget to get on over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show and give us a like, give us a rating, and we'll see you again next week with another author, another sample chapter. Bye.